Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It's uh, Wednesday, November the 10th. Hope you all are doing well as we approach the end of the football season, the holidays, sort of my favorite time of the year, uh, really. My birthday's the day after Christmas, and so uh, I always have kind of like a quadruple whammy Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthday, New Year's. Always a fun time, always a fun time in college football, too, and if you're a Gamecock fan, uh, it's a little more fun than maybe you anticipated because the Gamecocks got up off the mat, you know, and I say this all the time. Sometimes it's not about what happens. It's about what how you respond. And so, you know, you, you, you sort of look at it and the Gamecocks against Florida responded. And, and I keep getting back to this too, you know, because there's all this talk about, the Gators this, mulling that, firing coaches, what's wrong? And, and look, I think that's fair because if the Gamecocks were a 20-point favorite at the Swamp and a Florida team that couldn't cross the 50 before that, hardly, uh, you know, or I don't know, Gamecocks crossed the 50. Couldn't put it in the end zone, let's say it that way. Rose up and beat them by 20. Um, you know, then that's uh, that's that, you know. I mean, it's – uh. You know, it's just one of those things. So, um, you know, I, I understand how the feeling is. Uh, I understand that, you know, Florida's a program that won the SEC East last year, went at the Cotton Bowl, was a touchdown away from beating one of the best Alabama teams, at least offensively, there's ever been. Uh, it's the Florida Gators, and I understand. But, you know, you start looking at it, guys and gals, and – you know, South Carolina committed one penalty. That hadn't happened all year. South Carolina didn't turn the ball over. South Carolina executed. They were able to run the football. You, you look at the individual matchups on the offensive line, and, and they got the best of them, and they won it. Um, so, you know, Beamer's right in a lot of ways, and it was like more about South Carolina than people give them credit for. Um, you know, the, the thing with Florida, when I look at it objectively in the second half was – you know, you're down 30 to 10. That's three touchdowns. That offense can score that much. They were, hell, they were down 18 against Bama and came back. But, and they didn't really mount a response. You know, Carolina kind of scored. No, next thing you know, they're at 40 to 10. And that was that. Um, Carolina's defense dominated uh, in the second half. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. This first part of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Heritage Digital. You heard the ad at the beginning. Give my buddy Matt Odom a call if you're tired of slow internet and your internet guy sucks. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so here we go. Uh, news and notes. Last night, South Carolina basketball. Both teams. Going to talk about this a little bit. Game guys played USC Upstate, which is where I have my degree from. Uh, it was USC Spartanburg then. The mascot was the Rifles. I have mixed feelings about them changing it. But uh, here we go. So that's uh, 78-60. to 60. South Carolina, Frank Morgan get off to a 1-0 start. 
there's been uglier starts before. You know, I, I remember uh, I had to fill in. So I covered a basketball game. I had to fill in uh, for the big spur the year they went to the Final Four. And I remember Carolina played Louisiana Tech the first game. They won that by like nine points, 85-76. It was kind of a, you know, sloppy start. I'm not saying the game was perfect. I thought, you know, defensively there were some breakdowns and all that. But I, I like I like the guys on this team. I mean, you know, I, I'm weird when I watch basketball because I'm, I'm not really an expert in that sport. I played it. I love the sport, you know, uh, especially at the college level. Not really a big NBA guy, although – I do like the Atlanta Hawks, who had a pretty good year last year. Uh, it, you know, you, you, you sort of look at it, and you know, I, I think Eric Stevenson is going to be one of those guys that frustrate me. And this is just my personal preference because he shoots a bunch, and he can get cold, and he can get hot. And I'm like, ah, I quit shooting, you know, last night. And he finally hit it, and I, I like the way he plays. Uh, Josh Gray among the newcomers, uh, I thought, you know he probably was not as productive as he will be, but you can see the talent there at seven feet. He's a grown man. Um, came in from LSU, really did not fit what they do. Uh, grabbed a bunch of boards, rebounds, that kind of thing. The big men missed too many easy shots and that sucks. Um, and so that happened. So uh, it, it, it's one of those things. Um that uh, you got to work on, you know, missing bunnies is just going to kill you. Ask the ladies last year, you know, as good as they were. Um, so impressed with Josh Gray, you, you kind of look at this team and, you know, I thought Cousinard played pretty well at the point. I think he's a really good player. Maybe he returns to form. He wasn't himself last year and Frank Martin went into why, you know, uh, Wilden's Levesque obviously uh, let, helped lead the team in scoring with 14. Cousinard had 14. He looks like he's taking another step uh, on the inside. Uh, you know, the freshman, uh, Devin Carter and Jacoby Wright did some nice things. Uh, I like Jared Reese. Is that his name? No, yeah, Reese. Is it Jared Reese? Reese. All right, I think it is Reese. Jared Reese. Um, you know, the transfer from North Texas, he's a guy that uh, really uh, – you know, played well. Sorry, I'm getting calls on my phone. People know about to bother me. Uh, let's see. What is it? South Carolina basketball. Jared Reese, South Carolina. Let's look this up. All right. I know you guys don't want to hear this. It's not Jared Reese. What's his, what's his name? South Carolina, North Texas transfer. <laughs> Let me get this down. Sorry, guys. James Reese, not Jared Reese. Jared Reese was a... Jared Reese was a JUCO quarterback transfer during the whole terrace. Anyway, um, James Reese got off a good start. Columbia guy, I think he's a guy that um, can certainly help with the scoring, like his shot, like his hustle. And he was really good for North Texas last year, too. Uh, keep in mind the Gamecocks are missing uh, two potential starters in forward. A.J. Wilson, who's a, uh, a banger on the boards, defensive guy, came in from George Mason. Uh, and then also – uh, Keyshawn Bryant, who I thought Keyshawn last year, by the time all was said and done, you know, he was probably the best player they had or top player, he and A.J. Lawson. Uh, and then at the end of the the previous year in 2020, when COVID stopped everything, uh, Keyshawn was really coming on. It was kind of surprising he came back along with Cousinard. But, you know, if he's continued to refine his game when he gets off a of five-game suspension for university policy or whatever – uh, you know, that they're going to have to work them in. But I, I really think, you know, that this team, as down as everyone was, uh, I think that, uh, you know, they did a good job piecing it back together. And with the transfer portal, um, you know, uh, that's kind of what basketball has become. Uh, you're going to try to kind of rework your roster every year. And, you know, like I said, I was surprised Frank uh, and those guys got Bryant and Cousinard back. Some guys left that I didn't think would leave, and then some guys did not leave. So, you know, I'm curious to see how it all sort of plays out. Um, got Princeton, you know, this weekend. 
Uh, and then you either play Minnesota or Western Kentucky up in Asheville. Princeton's pretty good. You know, I mean, they've obviously got a great tradition in terms of, uh, you know, winning. They hadn't been to the tournament since 2017 when the Gamecocks went last. Uh, but Ivy League, you know, you either win it or you don't get in. And so that's the deal there. But, um, you know, Prince is going to come out. They have a style of play. It'll be challenging for the Gamecocks. And I said today on the Big Spur, and then I'll wrap up and talk about the ladies for one second. Um, the games against Princeton and then either Minnesota, Western Kentucky this weekend are the types of games, you know, there's a lot of focus on what happens in the non-conference, right, with the Gamecocks. Because they've had the conference record to go to the tournament, you know, for a few years and they haven't made it because of what happens early. Uh, these are not the games this weekend that they are the killers, you know, uh, but what they represent if you lose them is a missed opportunity. Like I'll give you an example, the, the Liberty game last year, the first game of the season and Liberty obviously ended up being a really good team. What the NCAA tournament, but the Gamecocks lost by 15, uh, Wichita state the year before that, they got blown out, then lost a close one to Northern Iowa. These are the types of games that, that, that you need in March, you know, when you, when you get to the resume building part of it. Um, and the SEC is not going to be easy this year. You know, uh, it's going to be a deep league again. Uh, you know, so maybe nine and nine record, if you take care of the business, or take care of your business in, in the conference, in the non-conference, uh, it can really help. And Carolina does have some games scheduled, you know, and I don't know how good Princeton's going to be. They're, they're, they're confident based on what I've read. Uh, Minnesota, I know, has a good coach. Western Kentucky's always been pretty good. Um, so I, I don't know if they'll end up being resume builders or not, but, you know, you, you look at it and th- there's an opportunity in Asheville. There's an opportunity against Andy Kennedy's UAB Blazers uh, next week at the Colonial Life Arena. I mean, there's an opportunity against Georgetown later. Florida State in Rock Hill could be a resume builder. And, and this team, you know, has the parts, I think, you know, the concern going into Friday and Sunday is have they gelled? And then when those other guys, when Wilson's supposed to be back, and then um, when Bryant comes back, how does he gel w- with the rest of the guys? But, I, you know, I liked what I saw. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not predicting anything. I do think it's important for Frank Morton to make the NCAA tournament this year, if he possibly can. And, uh, you know, based on some of the newcomers and all that, I – think there's a better chance than there was. And that's all I'm going to say. Not predicting any kind of craziness. Uh, this basketball team's burnt me, <laughs> uh, you know, because 2020 should have been an NCAA tournament team. And then 2021 had a shot, too, until 30 days of the season were canceled. Got off to a good start in the SEC, and then it fell apart. Um, but, you know, not a finished product, not anything like that. But, uh, you know, certainly, you know, a good enough opening win. The ladies – Obviously, they're the number one team in the country. Everybody's back off of a Final Four where, you know, like I said, the bunny shots killed them. I mean, in that Final Four, they had it right there, missed a layup at the end. That stunk. Always stinks when they miss layups, especially if you could win. But uh, everybody's back, plus the number one recruiting class in the country. Uh, NC State's a top five team, and the Gamecocks went in there and controlled the game from start to finish, especially defensively, 66-57. Um, so a really good start for the ladies. The ladies will play a lot of really good teams in the non-conference, and they should. And they may drop a game or two, and that's good because I think in basketball, you, you sort of look at the undefeated teams, and there's two that come to mind. Um, gosh, was Gonzaga undefeated? I don't remember cor- correctly on that. Uh, maybe the Gonzaga team Carolina played in the Final Four, I think, was undefeated. Maybe last year's was. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. You know, uh, two two examples stick out. UNLV, I think in 91, that lost to Duke in Indianapolis, the big upset. Uh, and then Kentucky a few years ago, they're undefeated, and they run into Wisconsin in the Final Four and lose. So, you know, that's on the men's side. On the ladies' side, you know, maybe it's more realistic to go undefeated. But if I'm a coach, you know, I kind of like <laughs> – I kind of like to take a loss maybe in basketball or, you know, 
can build off a loss, that kind of thing. And um, so I don't know if they'll go undefeated or not. I mean, if they do against this schedule and the SEC and they run through the NCAA tournament, they'd be, they'd be one of the greatest women's basketball teams of all time. Um, and I feel comfortable talking like that after one game just because of the talent on the roster. But Keith Allsett, a lot on the Game Guys podcast. If you love women's basketball, he can get in-depth by it, and he writes some stuff for thebigspur.com on that subject too. He's he's probably the best person to talk about it. So, you know, that that's kind of how that opening night of Gamecock basketball with both teams, you know, felt pretty good. Felt, felt pretty good about it. All right, the next segment of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, the analysis segment, we're going to talk a little about the Missouri Tigers. 4 p.m. kickoff on SEC Network, the battle for the Mayor's Cup. I've gone into how important that is, but first I want to tell you about Cindy Searfoss, right there in my hometown of Spartanburg on Daniel Morgan Avenue. Had to explain to my girlfriend yesterday who Daniel Morgan was because she was asking if there was a place called Cowpens, and of course the Battle of Cowpens, Revolutionary War. That's why USC Upstate used to be the rivals. That's how that conversation started. But Cindy's right there, Daniel Morgan Avenue, Spartanburg, South Carolina, the Berg, my hometown, serves the entire upstate, Cherokee, Union, Spartanburg, Greenville, Lawrence, Anderson, Pickens, Oconee, uh, Greenwood, wherever you are in the upstate of South Carolina, Cindy Searfoss from Caldwell Banker Kane can help you. And you know the real estate market's crazy right now. So give her a call. Tell her you heard about it on the podcast, 864-414-5271. You're looking to buy, looking to sell, property, whatever you need, Cindy can help you with it. That's 864-414-5271. You can email her, ccearfoss at cbcane.com. I'm going to spell that for you because, you know, nobody knows how to spell my last name. So, you know, this is kind of a... Funny one, it's not like Smith, it's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com, that's C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Cindy Searfoss, Colwell Banker Kane, proud sponsor of the analysis segment, plus prediction day uh, on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Okay, Missouri's coming in, and here's the big question. All right, so last week, Missouri goes to Georgia, and they're massive underdogs, got the backup quarterback against that defense. Unrealistic, they're going to come out of there with a win. But on defense, Steve Wilkes, their D coordinator, they made the decision to load the box, like load the box like no other. And Georgia had trouble running the football. As normal teams do, Georgia's probably going to always try, if you do that, to run it. Um, But then Georgia torched them down the field with Stetson Bennett, later JT Daniels. Uh, got in the mix. Um, they ran outside. They ended up 5.1 yards per carry, kind of going outside. Um, and ended up winning comfortably 43-6. to six. Uh, Missouri did some good things during that game. Uh, I think Eli Drinkwitz and his staff can kind of build on that a little bit, uh, especially on defense. Season low, 151 rushing yards. In Athens, Georgia, between the hedges, that's not, that's not bad. Um, you know, so, so the question becomes – what are they going to do against the Gamecocks? If you watched the film last week, you may say, hey, let's load it up again. Um, that said, you know, you saw what happened and that uh, there's some plays to be made downfield. South Carolina doesn't have the receivers. Georgia does. Um, and then Jason Brown, you know, started 10 for 13, ended four for 11. You know, so, so if you're going to gamble against South Carolina – I think going into it, you gamble on Brown and the downfield passing game. You know, you, you gamble on let's sell out, stop the run, you know, see what they can do. Um, but that said, you know, I, I think coaches sometimes, it's like, uh, you know, if you're going into a situation that you, you know probably you're not going to, you know, you have to do something radical to win like Missouri and Georgia – uh, maybe you do that and you just kind of, hey, we hope the quarterback has an off day, uh, that kind of thing. But we're not going to let him run it up and down the field on us, you know, and and all that. This game, Gamecocks are a one-point favorite at last look. They opened as a three-point dog. You know, so you're going into it thinking you're kind of uh, equal. Now, I'll say this, Tennessee or Missouri was a one-point favorite against Tennessee. Tennessee beat them 62-24. Um, so maybe you play the Gamecocks straight up. 
because uh, you don't want to gamble. Maybe you think you match up better with South Carolina, just not stacking the box. Maybe you think you have an advantage with the Carolina offensive line and you're looking back in the other tapes and all that. And that's fair. You know, so a lot, uh, a lot kind of depends on how Missouri plays Carolina. Um, and, you know, Marcus Satterfield and the offensive staff, you know, they have to kind of recognize it and see, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see from the start what they do. Um, I want to say something positive about Marcus Satterfield. Now, I've been thinking about this. And, you know, when you look and you see that when you're dissecting, like, he is him as an offensive coordinator the first eight games. And, and look, there were, there were reasons, you know, beyond the, the offense being ridiculously hard to learn and all that, why, you know, why things were not great. Um I'll say this. I, I I do believe if maybe they'd have gone to what they were they did against Florida earlier, that would have helped Zeb Nolan and Luke Doty. It would help the run game, help the backs get going. Because your backs, you know, when you look at talent, people talk about talent all the time. You you look at the talent on offense and the backs, you know, there's four good ones, you know, really good ones. Uh backs, tight ends, you know, you you, you got those guys. Um, so I think, you know, and, and then you get into the whole thing where you're, you ran a reverse pass for five yards, you know, the, the debacle inside the three at Tennessee, you know, going forward on fourth down, that kind of thing. And, and you're like, ah, well, you know, but, but hear me out on this, that kind of stuff, the trick plays, the, 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 you know, gambling, the, all that going five wide on fourth down, that kind of thing. I think that's a positive. Now, you may be like, ah, how can you say the Jordan Birch pass was a positive? It wasn't. Neither was the Joiner play. It was the wrong time to call those. But the plays in and of themselves, I don't really mind. I do mind Joiner being in the Wildcat. I think definitely they're onto something with Juju. I wouldn't mind seeing Jaheim Bell do it either. Um, but, you know, the aggressive mentality, that's something everybody wants, you know. Uh, you're not just running it up the middle every time. You know, I think, uh, you know, you kind of look back to the Kurt Roper years and Roper's offense was just sort of boring and bland. And, you know, they never really dialed anything up. Satterfield, you just never know what to expect. Um, And and I like the philosophy of, you know, you don't want people to know what's coming, that kind of thing. I get all that. So so I kind of used an an analogy. It's kind of like a pizza, like, you're making a pizza, right? And you got the freshest toppings. I mean, you got fresh garlic, you know, gourmet pepperoni, you know, fresh sausage, you know, some peppers that just, you know, right there. You guys know whatever you like on your pizza. I like everything but anchovies and sometimes olives, you know, but you got all the best ingredients. You got real Wisconsin cheese that you use. When you, when you cook it up, it just melts in your mouth. It's delicious. However, you can't get the dough right. Half the time it tastes terrible. Half the time it's burnt. Half the time it's this. Most of the time it's that. All right, so you can't get the dough right, and your sauce distribution is really screwed up. Okay, so what's more, what can be fixed? Like, if you have crappy toppings and cheese, you can adjust the the dough and the, and the sauce distribution all you want, Right you're still going to have crappy toppings and crappy cheese and the pizza is going to taste like crap. Reverse it the other way, right? And if you can get the dough right and you can get your sauce distribution right, you can have the best pizza in town. And that's Marcus Satterfield. You know, it's kind of a bell. The bells and whistles are there, but the foundation has not been. And I think against Florida, they took a step in the right direction with kind of like, okay, your foundation for this team, when you look at the roster, it should have been this way the whole year, is you're going to line up and try to run the ball with your elite backs, and you're going to be selective in the passing game and be you know, creative, okay? Uh, I didn't mind they started the game with a flea flicker uh, against Florida. I, you know, I like that. Uh, I, I, I like going deep early. You know, I like th- that kind of thing, right? Everybody does. Steve Spurrier coached here, guys, you know. Um, And so I like that, you know, 
I, I do think as a policy, and I don't know why more offensive coordinators don't do this, you know, after sudden change, you need to go take a shot. Yeah, that's kind of – I've seen it too many times work, right? Um, but that's a dough and sauce thing, okay? That's a dough and sauce thing, uh, if we're using the pizza analogy. And, and I think, you know, you get that right, like your base run game. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. But then you add on top of it. You're like, okay, well, against this team, here's what we're going to do. Here's what will work. And then you call it in a creative manner to set one thing up for another because that's been kind of perky-jerky as well. You're probably a pretty good offensive coordinator. Um, and I've said from the start, no matter how critical I've been, the play designs are there. Now, what you can't do is revert back to your NFL stuff and try to over-install and try to over-nuance and, and all that good stuff because you're going to confuse your kids. And that's a dough and sauce thing, too. You know, that, that's your dough. That's your dough recipe. You know, that's making your dough is can your kids learn it successfully and go out and know what they're doing. And it looked like they did Saturday night. It looked like they did. Um, Jason Brown had a lot to do with it, that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I, I think these next three games are going to tell us a lot about Marcus Satterfield and, and kind of the direction of the offense. But, you know, when you, when you sort of look at it, and you say, well, if you can get the basics down, which is your base run game, base pass play, all that, and you perfect those and the guys know what they're doing, you add your bells and whistles on top of it, I don't I don't really see a huge deal. Now, was I enamored with Satterfield's game? And I thought he called a good game, no question. I think, you know, when you look at those field goal drives, there were four of them, maybe some different decisions could have been made especially running the football. I don't, I'm, I, I, one, I, one thing I'm not a fan of is how often they throw it in the red zone. I just, you know, run all the way down there and then you bog down. You know, that, that's not good. But, hey, you know, they had, uh, you know, two touchdown passes down there. And he loves running up those touchdown passes in the red zone. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. But, you know, some quarterbacks coaches like that. But uh, – you know, so that's that's the thing about the offense, offensive coordinator, the direction. I, I do give Shane Beamer, Mark Satterfield, Greg Atkins a lot of credit, and I think Shane Beamer had a lot to do with this, the self-scouting during the, the, the and the defensive staff too because Clayton White and those guys took a look at the offense and said, hey, this is, what's, this is what we don't like and this is what we can stop easily and this is, these are your tendencies. And they listened and they fixed. So – We'll see what happens. But I wanted to say something positive about Mark Satterfield because I haven't said much positive about him all year, and that's for good reason. I stand by that criticism. I'm not backing up. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of times in sports, as is in life, it's not it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, you know, when you talk about life too, it's what you take into eternity is who you become not necessarily what you've been along the way. And I've said often football is an allegory of life. Uh, I think that it is in a lot of ways. And uh, so that's kind of the, you know, the story right now is what you become. Speaking of football being an allegory of life, I stole that from Derek Moore, by the way, who I think stole it. From, I, I don't Derek. That may be a Derek original, but anyway, uh, I picked that up back in 2008 when I first met Derek Moore. Uh, and he's still been a dear friend of mine, you know, by the way. And uh, I don't mind telling you I'm friends with Derek on, on the staff. I don't hit him up for info in case you guys are wondering. <laughs> I don't get any information from Derek. Uh, but I do enjoy talking to him about sort of, you know, life and, and things like that. And, you know, football being an allegory of life is something that, you know, knowing him, I've taken with me. All right, so Marshawn Lloyd talks about there being a players-only meeting where people talked about doing your job and your individual assignments and focusing on that. And so, so it's a little bit of Derek Moore and a little bit of Nick Saban as it relates to the offensive line. Um, I think that when you're talking about the aspects of life, such as personal responsibility, and a, along with that personal responsibility uh, facilitating you being able to – 
positively be accountable and impact the entire group. Uh, you know, and I'll give you an example, a life example. If, if you aren't, ta- if you're not taking care of yourself, like if you're in a relationship and you're not loving yourself, you can't love the other person. You know, if you're working somewhere and, and you're drinking on the job and all that, even though, you know, you're probably pretty good at what you're doing uh, and you're working with four other people and, and you're the one that stays out all night and comes in and has wine on his breath or whatever. That's never, I've never done that, by the way. I'm just using this, pulling it out of my butt. Um, your accountability, your, your lack of personal responsibility uh, is going to negatively impact the other four. On the offensive line, it's that way. If, if, if one guy decides not to do his job on a play, it can make the whole unit look bad. And so that's what that meeting was about. Marshawn Lloyd was talking about. Uh, and it, it worked. I mean, and, and the Nick Saban part is this. When Nick Saban, everybody, everybody talks about the process, right? And that's become a catchphrase for everything. Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt, Derek Duke, you name it. Whoever his, uh, you know, uh, his, uh, you know, name is synonymous with the process. Well, here's what the process really is. And this happened when Michigan State went to top-ranked Ohio State when he was coaching the Spartans. He's trying to get his team to kind of focus and, and talk to a psychologist up there in, in East Lansing or whatever and said, hey, you know, here's what you need to tell the guys. Stop, don't focus on the scoreboard. Don't focus on the last play. Don't focus on the next play. Focus on what you got to do right now. And do your job to the best of your ability every single play. Uh, and I think mean, that made a difference mentally. You know, there's all kinds of things that went into Saturday night, folks. It wasn't just we're going to simplify. Of course, having a simplified deal and, you know, doing things your players can do, that's part of it because it allows them to go take ownership and do their job. When you're confused, you know, you can't do it. Um, and so I think that happened. And I thought that was a, uh, a really good thing. You know, and I think that's going to help this team moving forward, you know. And like I said, look, if Missouri stacks the box, Carolina ends up with like 48 rushing yards this weekend, uh, you know, that could happen. Uh, the idea with the offense is get, get Jason Brown going, make him pay. You know, there's a reason why if it was if it was as easy as stacking the box and selling out to stop the run, if it was that easy, right, if it was that easy, everybody would do it all the time, but it's not, and you got to make them pay. Now, now the concern going in, and I've read this from fans, Josh Van was the only receiver with any reception Saturday night. Well, he threw it 24 times. There were some passes batted down at the line that could have gone to E.J. Jenkins. Um, there's people talking to E.J. Jenkins. I don't know that he's very good. I, I, he's good. I just, just And running the slant with him is smart. Um, and EJ Jenkins also played like 40 something snaps and blocked his ass off, you know. Uh, and you don't think blocking downfield matters? Ask Steve Spurrier, Steve, ask, ask the Spurriers about receivers blocking. Uh, it has to happen. And so, and, and he should be able to block. He's 6'7, 240. So you got yeah, Jenkins, you know, Mari and Brown sort of disappeared. I, I'd love to see them take a deep shot for him. I, I just don't think his game is catching it behind the line of scrimmage and running. Jaheim Bell didn't play very many snaps. You know, they start loading the box. Jaheim's going to be a guy. Nick Mew's going to be a guy. Kenyon caught some passes. Uh, you know, so, so there are players. You know, you can always run two backs and run white into the slot throw it to him. There's options besides, oh, there's no receivers outside of man. Production-wise, it's probably not. I mean, Jalen Brooks was number two, and he's out and going to be out. Um, But, you know, Xavier Leggett's done some nice things. I I just don't know that with them running the ball like they did, that there was a big need to throw, you know, a, a bunch. And there may be this weekend, but there may not be. Missouri may try to, like, play them straight up and with as bad as their run defense has been, I mean, you know, they may like be taking a gamble that, hey, we, st- we stacked the box and had success stopping the runs, so and now we have the confidence to go try to stop South Carolina. Uh, and they may look at the previous film on the O-line, and, and really the O-line you know, probably played about a B game Saturday night, probably not you know, an A+. Although it seems like if you're grading on a curve for this year, it was. 
Uh, they may think, hey, we can we can we can stop these guys without having to stack it and make it difficult. So they may think that. And if they do, I disagree. I think <laughs> I think you have to, you know, you have to respect South Carolina's backs in their run game. Uh, when you're bad against the run. I mean, I, Missouri is dead last. You know, I don't know who's 130th, but Missouri is 129th in the country. And by far the way, I mean, Vandy rushed for 258 yards against them. Um, Vandy's quarterback went for a bunch that game too. See, that, that kid Mike Wright at Vandy's going to be pretty good. He's going to be pretty good. He's giving some teams some trouble. So, you know, I, I – there's a reason I'm confident about this game. I think South Carolina matches up well. Uh, you know, defensively, it's still got to be about run defense. Tyler Beatty, uh, and if they play their backup quarterbacks, you know, their quarterbacks are going to be running. So kind of similar to Florida, Eli Drinkwitz is the master of the short pass. So the defensive backs are going to have to tackle pretty well, uh, and most of them do. But, um, you know, if it's Basilak, you know, he's going to be hobbled a little bit. He's not having the year that he had last year where everybody's like, hey, he's an up-and-comer. I think he's good. Don't get me wrong. And maybe it's a breakout game for him. But, you know, I, I think defensively keep everything in front of you. Don't get fooled. And, you know, if they play those backup quarterbacks, I think Macon and Banks were their name. Banks is the other one. I should have I should have taken notes before this, right? Um, written it down. Uh, cause you know, it's busy Wednesday. I got to get to the JB and go water here in 17 minutes. It's, uh, 1243 PM your time in the Eastern, uh, you know, so you got to keep everything in front of them. I'm sure Clayton white will have a pretty good plan. Uh, I do think there's a chance if they play the backups, maybe they, I, I don't know, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking of the Vandy game, but that, that information wasn't out there that, that Wright was going to start. They, Clark Lee did a good job. I think mean, because Ken Seals is kind of a, you know, just a po- regular old pocket passer. You prepare for that. And then here comes Wright. And, you know, there were some busts. Um, but, you know, I think the defense needs to build on it. You hold the top rushing team in the SEC to 82 yards. I mean, you talk about Missouri's run defense last week. South Carolina was pretty good too, and shutting down Beatty and the backs. It, it, Beatty's kind of the straw that stirs the drink. You look at their Kentucky game, thirty-five twenty-eight, they lost, but dude, he was he was on fire. And Tennessee did a good job with them because Tennessee jumped on them, and you know, Tennessee's tempo offense just annihilated Missouri early. And then it was just like keep everything in front of you. Missouri had a big time of possession advantage in that one, and um, Tennessee just. Kept them out of the end zone. They kicked field goals, whatever. And so it all just kind of depends. I don't think Carolina's going into a hot, extremely hostile environment. Uh, it's going to be cold. The weather forecast uh, for Columbia, Missouri, between you know 35 and 45. And second half, the sun's going down. So it turns into a night game. Uh, but uh, maybe not, I guess. Good. Probably gets dark about five o'clock. I don't know. You know, third quarter, get the sun goes down. Um, so we'll see. We'll see about that. Again, kickoff for Missouri, South Carolina. We'll have keys to the game preview prediction tomorrow. But kickoff uh, is at 4 p.m. SEC Network. The battle for the Mayor's Cup. Guys, it's the biggest game of the year. I mean, the two at the end are huge, but this is the biggest game of the year. South Carolina as a program absolutely has to turn the Missouri series, the Kentucky series, and the Tennessee series, you know, those are teams that South Carolina's had success with in the past. And those are teams the Gamecocks need to start beating. And Tennessee obviously didn't work out this year. Kentucky didn't work out. My, 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 how different those two games were, 116-10, 145-20. Uh, but, hey, that's fine. Again, move forward. Uh, Missouri's right there. They're right for the taking. You win this, you're bowl eligible. Um, Missouri's trying to get to a bowl too, but I, I kind of think the pressure is on them because you got Florida and then you got Arkansas, you know, after Carolina, you know, and I think Florida's probably going to win at least two of their last three games, but, uh, you know, they, they're probably looking at this where, you know, where we were three point favorite, one point dog. We beaten South Carolina two years in a row. It was a 20 point win last time they came out here. Let's get it. So their guys are going to be playing with confidence. I think South Carolina's will too, though. 
Because Mizzou doesn't have a win like that. You know, they've been scoring more points than the Gamecocks. While their defense has been awful, but they don't have a big win over anybody. They they beat Vanderbilt 37-20. It was close. It's close, just like the Gamecocks and Commodores. Well, the Gamecocks obviously aren't as good as Texas A&M, but just to kind of show you mentality-wise, A&M had a huge win over Bama. They go to Missouri. They still won 38-14, you know. And you look at the Georgia aspect of it, you know, just in terms of – and I think it's more relevant towards the end of the season than maybe at the beginning because, um, you know, nine, ten games in, you're kind of worn down. Georgia's very physical. It's a very physical football game. Um, and Kentucky lost to Georgia 30-13, and they immediately go and had a, one of their worst games of the year at Mississippi State, 31-17 they lost. And obviously we saw what happened to the Gators. Now those two teams had to go on the road after playing Georgia. Missouri gets to, or Missouri gets to come home. Um, it is halfway across the country for the Gamecocks, but uh, I don't think that matters. Carolina's had success in Como before. 2017, 31-13. 2013, they came back and won. You know, there have been some games where it's been tough out there. Uh, but they're not walking into Kyle Field or Sanford Stadium or the Swamp or Jordan-Hare. I'll tell you that right now. All right. The iHelp Consulting Mailbag going to tell you about my buddy, Daniel Daniel Owens. My man. Also a sponsor of the uh, the JB and Goldwater Show in my segment. If you're a business owner, you want to save time and money, and that's where iHelp Consulting can help. It's a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only business is to save you money on expenses. They saved the company $50,000, folks. 50 Gs. 50 Gs. And you may be paying too much. Credit card processing, that's a big thing. Internet, insurance, anything else. They can find the most savings without sacrificing quality. If they can't save your business money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If they can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel. 843-372-5713, 843-372-5713. Visit iHelpConsulting.com, free consultation. I help Consulting, how can I help you? Please tell them you got it from JC because they don't know. They don't know. You know paying good money to me to, to, to jockey their product, but if you don't tell them, I'd, I'd just appreciate it if you did. If you don't, that's fine too. I'd, I want Daniel and... Cindy and uh, Matt all to make as much money as possible. And I, I would not have them as sponsors. If I didn't believe in what they did. You have my word about that guys. My total word. All right. The mailbag today. I help us hold mailbag. Mark says, what do you need to see against Mizzou? Personally, I don't need to see the same output. We saw with Florida. It's going to be hard to replicate 280 plus rushing yards. I don't know if Missouri plays them straight up and doesn't stack the box or do something to compensate. This group is perfectly capable of putting up 350 rushing yards in Columbia. I mean, and it's not so much about necessarily South Carolina. It's more about like how bad Missouri's been on defense. And I know light at the end of the tunnel in Athens, um, but I would like to see a competent offense that runs the ball in Missouri in a similar effort from the defense. Yeah, I, and look, I, I think that the idea is this, guys. They stack the box. You got to throw it down the field. And South Carolina is not a team that can line up five wide, throw it all over the yard and beat the – you know, beat you like that. You know, but they, they do have some guys that can make some plays. And common sense says if they stack the box, there's going to be guys open. You know, now Missouri plays them straight up. The offensive line is confused again. They're letting guys go three. Missouri plays base defense and, and is just physically whipping them. That's a different ballgame. Then, then you're like, well, Florida, maybe they did quit. But uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think what we saw Saturday night was what we should have seen all year. You know, it's like, okay, if you're not prepared to come stop South Carolina from running it, they're going to run it all over you with their backs, with their offensive line. Uh, and then Jason Brown made some all-scheduled plays. Mark goes on to say, let's play clean football and walk away with a victory. Yeah, got to play clean too. I mean, that that was a big factor Saturday night as well. You know, you didn't have all the penalties and stuff like that. Now it's on the road. 
Uh, this is Jason Brown's first SEC road start. If you look back, this has happened 25 times. First SEC road starts uh, for 25 quarterbacks. Now, th- there's some out there that never started a road game in the SEC. Maybe Like Michael Michael Skarnakia started one game in his career. It was at home against these guys. Um, first SEC road start for Jason Brown. Something tells me he'll be poised, calm, cool, collected, just like he always is. And I think it was good. He got out there fourth quarter against AM in front of 100,000 people and executed pretty well. Had some picks, but executed pretty well. That's one thing, knock on wood, because I, I worry about that with Brown, you know, because he's kind of got a gunslinger mentality. You know, he chunks it in there, tries to make a play, uh, and it gets picked. But, you know, I, I think you can live with that sometimes, but you don't want it to be like an epidemic. Um, but you're right. Fo- clean football, walk away with a win. Noah says, hey, JC, can we get a recruiting update on the Gamecocks? Are they still pursuing Dominic James? No. Jay Sean Barham, yes, high priority. Gamecocks, Penn State, Maryland. Okay. Stone Blanton. Uh, the Gamecocks are still talking to him. As it goes forward, though, it, it's kind of like Ole Miss is trying to flip him from Mississippi State. So, ah, shoot, I don't know. Uh, Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach in football. I don't know about Mississippi State versus Mississippi baseball. Baseball's got it. And he says, what positions are we still looking to add this recruiting cycle? They have a great receiver, Antonio Williams, is obviously number one. Uh, as far as any other guys go, they added defensive tackle Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester. Really good prospect, in my opinion. Uh, somebody criticized me, uh, gosh, six months ago or something. And it was BS criticism that says uh, every player – that comes in is underrated or overrated. And I'm like, look, man, I, uh, that's insane. I never say that. What I do say is this, never count anybody out in a recruiting class. You know, be honest about what you say, you know. And I think people misinterpret it because a lot of people have this caveman mentality or microwave mentality these days. Microwave, Like it's either done or it's either cooked or it's not, that we want to cook fast or – the caveman mentality is this good, this bad, fire, 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 you know. Um, and, and recruiting is way, 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 way more in the gray area than that when you're talking about players. I mean, you know, if you bat 600, that's pretty good 60% of the time. Um, you know, Rosendo Lewis is an example of that. I mean, I thought he had tremendous upside, uh, showed out on the All-American Bowl, and then stayed hurt the whole time and just never quite made it back. You know, there are a lot of guys in the 07 class that Steve Spurrier signed that was ranked fourth in the country that, yeah, just weren't quite as good. Now, there were some guys that were real good that were underrated. Pat DeMarco comes to mind. But uh, last guy they took in the class, one of t- Pat DeMarco and Michael Skarnakia are the two prospects in the history of South Carolina that Steve Spurrier himself recruited and signed. <laughs> Let's take Pat DeMarco. Let's take it. And it paid off. Big time with both those guys. So, uh, anyway, uh, that's the deal there. So, if I say something, and, you know, then, I mean, so what are you supposed to say? Should I trash them? You know, you want to look like an idiot real quick, start trashing incoming recruits. You can say, hey, this guy, in my opinion, needs to work on this, that, and the other. So, so let's talk about Watson. Four, six, nine in the 40. Massive wingspan. Uh, film, honestly, last year was just sort of so-so. This year, it's really good. Fort Dorchester High School, North Charleston, home of Byron Maxwell, John Simpson, Robert Quinn, Carlos Dunlap, and more recently, to Karen Joyner and Daryl Ware. Players every year, it's always good to sign players out of that high school, you know, because Carolina normally, in the past, hasn't been able to make any inroads there. So, you know, let's talk about it. You know, really good athlete, high upside, D-line heaven kid, Will ha- he'll have to develop. And that's all. Yeah, that's it. Does he have a chance? Yes, he has a chance to far exceed his ranking, which is a mid-three-star now. Probably should be a little higher, to be honest. There's some guys that should be lower, but Demetrius should be higher. Uh, and if if my good buddy Ryan Bartow was still doing it in the Carolinas, I guarantee he would be. This is the type of kid he loves, and this is why he named the Carolinas D-line heaven. Uh, you know, so good pickup, you know, because that's what you want. There is a big athletic 
defensive tackle that can make things happen. Um, you know, guys like Lottie Azuboy were really, really good for Carolina uh, on the inside. You know, so there's that there. Uh, recruiting, and and we'll get into the specifics and stuff. You know, one not to sound like Dan Mullen or anything, but when it's recruiting time, how about that? No, one more question. Got to do it quick. JC Muschamp lost a Mullen twice when he shouldn't have. And another toss-up loss in 2020. Yeah, I like a team and staff don't fold when Mullen walks out of the tunnel. I've seen lots of internet posts that say Brown played so well because the offensive line played so well. I think it's the exact opposite. I agree, Grover, with uh, with that in the passing game. I think the O-line played really good in the run game. Now, the run game does help the passing game because they can't just load up and come after you. Uh, but it was him sort of uh, – Escaping pressure, as I said, and I, and I said this, and I'll give myself credit for this. I, I mean, I called it. I was like, okay, against AM, here's his skill set that I saw. Uh, keeps his eyes downfield, avoids pressure, can keep his eyes downfield and make those scramble plays. No, no other quarterback can do it. Doty didn't keep his eyes downfield and would take off running. And then Zeb just doesn't have the athleticism to do it. Um, Maybe Colton does, maybe he doesn't. But but that's why I said you have to go with Brown because, you know, those plays that he made, 50-yarder, and then the touchdown against Florida, another quarterback's back there, it's a sack or it's a two-yard gain or, or whatnot, you know, and you, you don't know how that goes. So that's why Jason Brown needs to start. All right, I help consulting mailbag is over. Only three questions. You can send those in. We'll have prediction coming up tomorrow, prediction Thursday. Maybe another episode this week, maybe not. Uh, anyway, Missouri this weekend. Battle for the Mayor's Cup. Como, 4 p.m. kickoff. Uh, you can tell things are a lot more chipper this week. Um, but you got to keep it going, you know, and this is a golden opportunity against a team that is not very good. Now, Florida probably felt that way about South Carolina going in. Um but I think uh, this is an opportunity to sort of somewhat restore order in this series. Uh, everybody would like to beat Eli Drinkwitz, I know, and uh, get that trophy back. Get that trophy back to Columbia. We'll have more tomorrow, folks. J.C. Sherbert inside the Gamecocks, signing off.